Today's reading from the New Testament comes from Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. How y'all doing this evening? We are continuing our series on one anothering, and today we get to talk about admonishment. I know when you see me, you think of, I am Mr. Admonishment. I know. So this has been a difficult subject for me, and I pray that God's word would speak to you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that your word would exhort us, but in your exhortation, I pray that we would see the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus that leads us to love one another. Holy Spirit, come down even now. We're two or more gathered. There you are. And so we recognize you in our midst, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. So most of everything that we consume has a warning label, right? In college, I drank Red Bull. Uh, but one time, I went over the recommended dose. So on the side of, of my Red Bull can, it, it read this. The warning read, not recommended for children, pregnant or breastfeeding women, or, ca or caffeine-sensitive persons. It also said, don't consume more than 500 milliliters in one day. And one Red Bull can is 250 milliliters. And so I realized that I, I wasn't a child, I wasn't pregnant or breastfeeding, but I was the caffeine-sensitive person. And I drank 750 milliliters. That's three Red Bull cans in two hours. Yes, that's right. And after drinking these three Red Bulls in two hours, my personality changed. I, be, I turned into an elderly woman walking around with my cane. I literally had a cane in college. And I'd walk around to the computer lab or wherever, and I would say, hey, baby, how you doing? And I'd have 10 to 15-minute conversations with complete strangers. So tonight, we're going to talk about elderly women who drink Red Bull, amen? No, no, seriously, we're going we're gonna to talk about what does it mean to admonish one another? What does it mean to, to warn each other? But more specifically, how do we do these things? So we're going to look at three things. The, the framework of admonishment, point number one. The second point, the manner of admonishment. And the third point is the means of admonishment. Before we admonish one, one another, we need to realize that we are 
in Christ, and we are God's chosen, holy, and beloved children. We, we see this in Colossians 3. It says, as God's chosen, holy, and beloved, put on the new uh, self with love and compassion, bear with one another, forgiving one another, and admonishing one another. The word admonishment here means to counsel about avoidance or the cessation of the improper course of conduct. Basically, it, it means to warn, to instruct, or to counsel. Somebody who is going in the wrong direction, you admonish them. Christians have had a bad rep when it comes to uh, admonishment in our culture. A lot of times, people see the church as the hub of judgment and admonishment, especially doing these things without showing love and grace. So before the pandemic, uh, a member of Grace downtown and I, we, we walked around literally downtown D.C. in the Chinatown area, and he had a camera, and we'd walk around and we'd say, hey, can we talk to you about religion, faith, and spirituality? So as we, we talked to several people, but this one lady really caught our attention, and this is our conversation. So I asked this young lady, I said, what do you think about the Bible. And this is what she said. She said, it's very interesting if you read it as a text, but I can't take anything wholesale as a way of telling me how to live. And so I asked her, so, so then how would you describe yourself? Are you non-religious, agnostic, atheist, or spiritual? And she said, I'm Jewish, actually. And not one of those Hebrew Israelites who are standing on the corner being angry at people. No, I'm not one of them. And so I said, well, then how does your Jewish faith speak into these things? How does your Jewish faith speak into religion and spirituality? So she said, just the tenets of asking questions, seeking your own answers. If you make a mistake... Your job is not to pray for forgiveness and hope it goes away. Your job is to make sure you don't do the same thing again. The monthly requirement of charity, it calls me in a way that the church never did. And so it gives me peace. And this is my last question to her. I said, so did you grow up in the church? And she said, yes. I grew up in the church and, and saw way too many people shoved out because either their sexuality didn't fit or their way of thinking didn't fit, the way that they look didn't fit, or the way that they were born didn't fit. How are you going to say that God loves everyone and then exclude others? And this is her word. She said, that's really crappy. So how would you respond to this Jewish woman? Who, who grew up in the church and felt excluded like she didn't fit. So during the, the, during the time when, when Paul sent his letter to the Colossian church, we read it in, in Colossians 3, in the earlier of the chapter, it says that there were Greeks and Jews, that there were the circumcised and the uncircumcised, that there were barbarians, Scythians, and slaves worshiping together. These people, they didn't fit together, and yet they were bearing with one another. They were forgiving one another, and they were admonishing one another in love. It sounded like uh, the Jewish lady that I met on the streets of downtown D.C. 
never experienced a church that looked like that. So now don't get me wrong. Uh, the work of admonishment is messy because you have to call out sin in people's life. And at the same time, as we call out sin in others' lives, we must be willing for others to do the same thing to us. We must live by the same standards by which we ask others to live. So that brings me to our first point, the framework of admonishment. Paul says that our framework, our foundation upon which we admonish one another is the word of God. He says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Christ is the word of God made flesh. We know this in John chapter 1, verse 14. John 15 says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So when Paul is talking about letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he's signaling to, to, to believers that you already have the spirit of Jesus Christ. And when you dwell, when, when Christ dwells in you, you realize that apart from Jesus, you can't do anything. To know Jesus personally is to have his words dwell in you. The word of God is our source that we rely on when we admonish one another. I love what Paul says. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So what does that mean? To let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It means that, that God's word is a permanent resident rather than a weekend visitor. For God's word to, to dwell in you, it, it has to seep down into your soul. It, it becomes a part of you. When, when, when God's words dwell in you, it's hard to tell when your word begins and God's words ends. You can finish each other's sentences. When, when God's words dwell within you, your speech change and you, be, you begin to sound like God. In Psalm 19, we get a picture of what it's like to have God's word dwell in us richly. The psalmist says, the law of the, law, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. I, I'm, I'm talking about the King James Version. I'm, I'm going back to my Baptist days sweeter than the honey and also the honeycomb. And this is what the psalmist says, moreover by them your servant is warned and in keeping them there is great reward. Now you might say, Andrew, that's, that's well and good for the psalmist, but it's hard for me to find time to read scripture. How many in here who have a hard time finding time to read scripture? I do. I do, so I, I, you're not the only one. You, you might say, look, I have a busy career. I, I, I have a busy home. I got six kids. I know that's just a few of you, right, who have six kids in here. You might say, I don't, I don't have the time or the energy to even taste the sweetness of God's word. Some of you might say, sometimes God's word actually is not sweet to me, but it tastes bitter. How can God's word dwell in me richly when my consumption of God's word is poor? First of all, don't let poor consumption of God's word be an obstacle for 
trying to let God's word dwell in you richly. And secondly, remember the gospel. Jesus came to dwell in you, not just to hang out on Sundays. When Jesus saved you from your sins, he, uh, he made you an, into a new person, a, a royal priesthood, a holy temple where God's spirit dwells. You are not your own because you've been bought by the price, and the price is the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and he rose from the dead to give you the power to live the new life. So Jesus Christ is our source of life. He, he makes us alive. When we trust in Christ, we've been made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, but Jesus doesn't leave us there. Jesus gives us power to live this new life. God will never ask you to do something without giving you the power to do it. I'll say that again. God will never ask you to do something without giving you the power to do it. Remember that if you are a believer in Christ, you are God's chosen, holy, and beloved. And, and Christ lives to make intercession for you. And so we need to pray that, uh, we, knowing that we have a great high priest, we need to pray, Lord, you've made me holy and beloved and chosen. And right now, your word is, is bitter. Make it sweet. And I trust me, God will hear that prayer. And after you pray and, and you, you wait on the Lord, you need to find your own rhythm. It could be, you know, an audio version of Scripture that you just uh, listen to your, on your way to work or if you're jog, jogging or, or in the metro. It could be uh, memorizing just a verse a week or asking a brother or sister, hey, hey can you keep me accountable? Can you help me to, to, to read God's word? I, 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 have, I, have a I have trouble reading God's word, and I need somebody to, to hold me accountable. Because without God's word dwelling in us richly, we run the, the risk of warning people without love. And the result is a ruined relationship or a relationship where people avoid you because they know if they come into you, you're going to tell them about them themselves. You, you have those people? I have those people, and it's six of them. They always, I try to avoid them. They always tell me the truth. I can't escape. Kids, man, kids are some, if you, want, if you want some honesty, talk to kids, all right? But be prepared because they'll tell you the truth. Now, 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 please hear me when I say this. The, the fear of being perceived as judgmental, especially when, when we think about admonishing people, we have this fear. I, I don't want to tell them that they're doing the wrong thing because I'm afraid that I might be perceived as judgmental. That should not prevent you from warning a brother or sister. If someone you love is going in the wrong direction, it is unloving to say nothing. I, t I tell my kids all the time, it's because I love you that I'm warning you. And if I didn't love you, I, I wouldn't care if you made bad choices. So we must let the word of Christ be the word of Christ. What I mean is that we must let God be God. When, when God's words dwell in you, God knows exactly how to bring up the word like an encyclopedia. God knows how to give the prescription that is needed to the situation. So if you allow God to be God, knowing that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit and you're feeding on God's word, when you come into a situation where you have to admonish somebody, the Holy Spirit will bring that word to life. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division and soul and spirit 
of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. I don't know what you're thinking, but God does. And so when you let the word of God dwell in you richly, you can admonish somebody as if God is admonishing them. And when God admonishes, it's always in love. This leads us to our second point, the manner in which we should admonish people. Paul says that we must admonish one another in all wisdom, in all wisdom. What, what is Paul saying here? Colossians 2 and 3, we know that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And, and, and Paul says, in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he gives his most prized possession, who is Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God. He gives it away to simple people, to, to amateurs, to unsuspecting people. First uh, Corinthians says, you know, do you know that you, you were weak and, and, and God chose the weak to confound the wise and the strong? That's who God chooses. God chooses people who are not good at this thing. And he says, look, I'm going to give you my wisdom, who is Jesus, and he's going to help you. Herman Bavink defined wisdom. Bavink is a, a theologian, old theologian. He says, the art of living well. This is how he defines wisdom. The art of living well. It characterizes the conduct of those who make the right use of their greatest store of knowledge and match the best means to the best ends. So we must have the spirit of wisdom when we admonish one another, and we must also trust the Holy Spirit to bring to remembrance portions of God's word that help us to admonish. This is why we need God's word to dwell in us richly. And here's another thing. We also need each other to cultivate this wisdom. Wisdom does not come in a vacuum. It is developed in community. Amen. I, I hear it. It's all right. This whole passage is addressed to a, a community of people and not just one person. Now, you can take personal applications from this passage. However, the admonishing one, you can't admonish one another unless there's another, right? You need another person beside yourself. And so the reason we practice these things in community is twofold. We practice admonishing each other in community because, one, God's glory is manifested most in community. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, in John 17, verses 21 through 22, Jesus prayed that the church might be one as he is one with God the Father. And so that the world might believe that God the Father has sent him. So in our unity, in our forgiving one another, in our bearing with one another, in our admonishing with one, uh, each other, in love and compassion and gentleness, the world sees this and says, hey, God must be present in your midst because that, I don't know of any space that that happens. This Jewish lady on the street was looking for a church where she could uh, uh, be loved and admonished and, and bared with. But she couldn't find that, and so she felt excluded. A lot of people feel excluded. A lot of people feel like, you know what, there's no one who, who loves me, who, who, who does not want to see what's best for me. And, and here in the church of Jesus Christ, when we come together as a community, the Bible says that when we, when we love each other, when we unite together as one, the world believes that Jesus is God. 
And then secondly, Jesus said in verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Therefore, God's glory is manifested most when the church of Jesus Christ is in community. And we practice bearing with one another, forgiving one another, and admonishing each other in community so that we can get better at it. Where else do we get the chance to practice admonition? The community of God should be our training ground. This is our on-the-job experience, and experience is how you develop wisdom. And we see what works and what doesn't work. Now, when it comes to admonishment, some of us don't like it. Raise your hand. Do you like to be admonished, anybody? Okay. All right. Now, raise your hand if you like to give admonishment. Okay. It's all, it's all right. We, we, we're, we're a community. We can be honest. So first, let me speak to the one who doesn't like being admonished. Sometimes we want people to admonish us in the way that we like, right? We, we want to control the way how people talk to us. But we can't do that. We, we, we can't control uh, the way that counsel and wisdom and admonishment is coming to us. And a lot of times our feelings get hurt. Because even though admonishment, even if the admonishment is gentle and loving, even if I'm singing it to you, if I, if I say, don't go the wrong way, and you're like, ooh, that still hurts, though, because I want to go the wrong way. So even if I sing it, even if it's gentle, loving, and compassionate, that doesn't change the fact that it's still admonishment. Paul says, admonish one another in all wisdom. Wisdom means sometimes hearing things you don't like so that you can grow. Paul said that we must put off the old self and put on the new self. If we're all wise, then we wouldn't need to be admonished. Now, when we get to heaven, ad admonition actually will not happen in heaven because we'll be perfect. But because we're not in heaven yet, Ad admonition is necessary for our sanctification. It's, ne it's a necessary thing because we are putting on the new self. We're becoming more like Jesus. We're growing in our wisdom. We're growing in community. And so it's necessary. Ooh, somebody say, I need it. <laughs> now, to the person who feels like their superpower is to admonish people, I, I really want you to hear this. We need to, you need to admonish in wisdom because sometimes a gentle word is needed and sometimes a stern word is needed. But both need to be filled with love and compassion. You, we need to know how to apply the right admonition to the situation. And even though you might be skilled in pointing out other people's faults, you also have some faults that you need to deal with. Joel Belts, who was the, the founder of World Magazine, he recently wrote a piece entitled, and my, my wife sent this to me, the title of it is Menders or Splitters. And this is what he said. He said, so as I near my 80th birthday later this summer, I find myself reflecting on where I've put my emphasis over a lifetime. Have I been more a church member Mender, sorry, or a church splitter? Have I been a church mender or a church splitter? 
And he later on, he says, when I pursued the purity of the church, I've in effect put an emphasis on sound doctrine and teaching. When I pursued peace, I've, I've put an emphasis on what I have in common with other believers. For the record, I think that in my lifetime, I may have leaned more a bit toward pure, the pure doctrine side and a bit less than I wish towards seeking peace with my fellow believers, but I'm thankful that I serve an understanding and loving God. Here you have an 80-year-old man who, who surveys his lifetime, and he says, you know what, I've actually pursued purity of doctrine and being right than being at peace with my brothers and sisters. And he looks back and he's like, I faulted, I faulted, and I, I needed to, I need to, I need to learn how to admonish and love. I need to know how to, before I admonish, here's the thing, in Colossians 3, it says, before the admonition, you must bear with one another. You must forgive each other. And then you admonish. So if, I, if I'm in a community where I know you're, I, I'm being forgiven, if I'm, I'm in a community where I know I'm being loved, if I'm in a community where, you know, when I'm going through a hard times and you are bearing with me, the pain with me, then I could take some admonishment because I know it comes from a place of love. Now, <clears throat> sometimes loving brothers and sisters means telling the truth. And the truth sometimes hurts. And some of us are afraid to tell people the truth because we're afraid that we're going to hurt somebody's feelings. If they are a brother or sister in Christ, let me tell you something. They are holy, beloved and chosen. So let God deal with their response. Let, let God defend your battles. Even if you admonish someone and they criticize you, let God defend you. You've done your part. And, and if you're in any type of leadership position, you will be criticized or admonished. Is anybody in here in a leadership position? You have, you have people underneath you that you have to look after or manage? Have you ever been criticized or admonished? because of your leadership, if you haven't, it will come. That's just the price of what it means to be a leader. And as, as the lights of the world, Christ has called us to be leaders in this world, to lead with love and compassion, to lead with forgiveness, and to lead with admonition. So if, if I, as a leader, react with every critique and, and admonishment with frustration and anger, it would take away my focus from loving, forgiving, and bearing with my brothers and sisters. And so I, I, I take people's admonition and criticism with a grain of salt. I say, Lord, if this thing is true, teach me something. And if I know an admonition not to be true, then I say, Lord, help me not to take this personally and help me to see myself as you see me, which is holy, beloved, and chosen. So knowing your identity in Christ actually helps you to face it at, at admonishment because it helps you to, to, to not take it too personally. And, and also, if you're the one giving admonishment, knowing your identity in Christ helps because it helps you to do it boldly and with courageous love because perfect love casts out fear. And the world does not know what this love looks like. Because too often we, we see people admonishing one another without love, and it comes across as cold and bitter and heartless. But the wisdom of God is like a doctor who knows how to apply the specific amount 
of admonishment like a prescription. And like most medicines, they're, they're good for you. And at first, it tastes bitter, bitter, but in the end, it's sweet. And how do we know admonition is sweet? Because Paul says it, point three, the means of admonition, which is psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Admonition is sweet because it's musical. Uh, this seems like a paradox, right? How can something bitter taste sweet? How can me pointing out your sin end with us becoming a better community? Paul says, admonish one another by means of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Paul is saying that the word of Christ, as the word of Christ dwells in you richly, you break out in singing. Singing is the natural consequence of being in a relationship with Jesus. If you know me really well, you know that I love to dance. And if you are in the Russell family, a natural consequence will be periodically breaking out in spontaneous dance. We, we, we crank the music up. Uh, we did this uh, at a party actually yesterday. And we was just singing, baby shark, do 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 do, baby shark. And we just getting down. And then after that, get out and out of cotton, not Joe. I've been married in love. Y'all know that. Yeah. So we just dance. We love to dance. Because to be a Russell is to have rhythm, you know? You are genetically predisposed to dance. And when you get a bunch of Russells together, there, there, is inevitably, there, there is inevitably going to be loud music and unashamed dancing. And the people of God are the same way. When we allow the word of Christ dwell in us, to dwell in us richly, we are genetically predisposed to singing. Because when, when the word of Christ dwells in you richly, you can't help but to sing like Julie Andrews. The hills are alive with the sound of music. I wrote a poem about music, it, it, and the poem goes, it's really short. It says, music is a language that we all know. It is beauty made audible. It's the heart speaking to the mind, and it's heaven's gift to mankind. When we hear the, the phrase psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, I'll close with this. A lot of commentators think, you know, it, it could be three different things, psalms, hymns, you know, a psalm, obviously, the Psalter, hymns, we, we, we've heard of hymns, spiritual songs. It could be a new song, something that a songwriter writes. But they're all the same. They're all music, and they all have the same foundation, which is the word of God. And so let me share a psalm, a hymn, and a spiritual song that has admonition in it. Psalm 81 says, hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel. If you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Did you hear the sweet? In the spiritual song category, Israel Houghton, he has this song called In Jesus' Name. And it goes like this, God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness, lighting up the kingdom that cannot be shaken in the name of Jesus, enemies defeated, and we will shout it out. 
And we know all, we know, we know this hymn, not what my hands have done by Horatius Bonar. Verse 1 says, not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Did you hear the admonishment? There's nothing that I could do to save my soul. And I've tried. Even if you try to toil, uh, nothing that you can do can make your spirit whole. Nothing that you could ever uh, uh, feel or give can, can give you peace with God. Because only Jesus can do this. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Hear the words of admonishment. The words of admonishment come in the form of Jesus Christ who comes as a baby, sweet, little. And yet this baby is the king, the one who holds all things together by the power of his word. And he, and he admonishes one uh, us and he says, and we see it in the word, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him might not perish but have eternal life. And we know that God does not want anyone to perish. Yes, we are the fragrance of life, but we also are the fragrance of death to those who are perishing. So if right now you're perishing, I want you to hear the word of admonishment. Jesus loves you. He does not want to see you to perish. He doesn't want you to see you bearing the awful weight of sin. He doesn't want you to toil. He doesn't want you to try to do anything to give, make peace with God. He just wants you to surrender, to come to him. And let his word dwell in you richly so that you can live in all wisdom and break out in singing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you for the word made flesh. We thank you, Lord, that we can admonish one another. But I pray, Father, that we would do it with love and grace. Father, if there's someone today who needs admonishment and there's a person who who feels the Holy Spirit saying, you know what, I need to give it, but I don't know how. I'm too afraid. Give them the courage to do it. Let them know that they're holy, beloved, and chosen. If there's somebody today who, 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 who's like, I'm giving admonishment, I'm giving admonishment, and I can't take it when somebody dishes it back to me, I pray that you, that person who's giving, I pray that you would give them uh, love and compassion and grace, that when they admonish their brother or sister, that that brother or sister would take it in love. Father, help us to, to walk as you walk. Help us to speak the truth in love. And Father, may we never be afraid because your perfect love has cast out all fear. In Jesus' name, amen.